Welcome, race fans and beer drinkers. This is Lug Nuts and Beer. I'm Tom Curley, joined by my co-host Dylan Flickinger. The NASCAR Sprint Cup Series visited Dover International Raceway this weekend, but it felt more like Talladega 2.0 with all the on-track carnage and twisted sheet metal. Matt Kenseth held off a 40-lap late-race charge by two drivers half of his age to break his bad luck streak and grab his first victory of the season. But... Should Kyle Larson have given him the bump and run? We'll discuss that and more in this week's episode. How's it going down there, buddy? We haven't spoken in a while. It is going well. That was a great intro, man. I like that. Um, I, wor- I worked on it for about five minutes right before you called. <laughs> welcome, welcome, race fans and beer drinkers. Synonymous. But um, yeah, things things are good. We took a, we took a little break last week, dude. Um, didn't give our our audience anything to listen to but we're back and and raring to go uh, first lug nuts and beer bye week even though it wasn't a nascar bye week i just like to think of it as a nice little uh mental health break yeah that's right like sometimes life gets a little busy and uh yeah i know on my end i've been busier busier than ever so it's been a little bit but we're back and let's do it you're all shacked up now aren't you What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> Your girlfriend <laughs> moved in with you. That's right. That is right. My <laughs> absolutely gorgeous, beautiful girlfriend, Monica, is down here in North Carolina, and um, it's good. Man, what a suck-up with all that flowery language, talking about how great she is. The walls are really thin in here. I think she she's <laughs> literally probably about two feet away from knock if you can hear me she didn't knock she's watching netflix so we're good but you never know you never know hey you know better safe than sorry that's what that's what mama always said (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) all right dude well hey uh what beer i we're changing things up you know we're back from the bye week we're gonna start with you tonight what beer are you drinking I am drinking Great Lakes Dortmunder. I don't even know why. I've known this beer for years, and I didn't really love it until recently, and now it's the only craft beer that I want. No idea why. No kidding. Dortmunder. Dortmunder Gold, yeah. And I am I know I'm giving it high praise, but I promise uh, Great Lakes is not paying me to say that. Nobody is paying us anything to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what... Uh, you featured this before, right? Is this something you've drank on here before? I'm honestly no? not even I I'm not even sure. I'm not sure either. What kind of beer is it? It's just a lager. It's just like a classic okay. lager and there's just like there's not a lot of good ones. I've tried a few others and I don't really enjoy them. Yingling. But but Great Lake, yeah. Yingling's pretty good. Great Lakes is kind of a like the craft beer slightly heavier version of that. Those are the only two good ones. All the other ones can go to hell. And Brooklyn Lager is not bad either. I don't know if you've ever had that. I've had it. We've got it at the restaurant. Remember, it's the uh, it's the oh, fancy yeah. people's crispy cool. All right, buddy. Well, what do you got over there? You know, I'm actually drinking something you would probably like. Um, it's not bad. I I'm not a huge fan of IPAs, but this is called um, Telltale Telltale Heart IPA um, out of Baltimore. It's another, I have this and one other beer left out of that awesome sampler pack that my buddy Tim gave me. Um, it's, it's got a picture of Edgar Allan Poe on the front with a couple of crows 
seems pretty fitting. And like I say, I'm not a huge IPA fan, but it's not it's not super hoppy, so it's something I can get behind and support support some more craft brewing. So it's uh it's good beer. Raven beer. Well, yeah. those are the be- those are the beers of lug nuts and beer this week. Yum. There you have it. <laughs> there we are. Let's talk about some racing. All right, let's do it. First of all, I just want to say that I am so depressed and devastated and was the entire time I was watching that race and the entire Dude. week leading up to the race that you and I were not in the stands for the first time in six or seven years. I mean, it was six depressing. Yeah, I know. It really, truly was depressing. I'm sitting here right now with my Monster, uh, yeah, Monster Mile koozie on the beer right now. Just in, I've been using it all week because it's sad, man. I it is. I've got we you and I have gone to the spring race five years in a row. This is the first, This would have been the sixth year. Um, and then I went in, I believe October, uh, with Monica to her first NASCAR race, uh, yeah. to the Chase race they have in Dover. And man, that place just holds a dear spot in my heart. Yeah, it really does. And I always have told people, it's kind of one of those, I don't want to say a forgotten track because it certainly always provides good on-track racing, but it just seems like one of those tracks that's really out of the way for a lot of people. But beans that you lived in Philadelphia, it wasn't really all that far from Philly. So I would drive from Ohio out to Philly to visit you, and then it was only, what, like a maybe a two-hour drive to the track from there? Oh, no, no. It wasn't even two hours. It was like an hour and 15 minutes, I want to say, pretty much. Yeah, so it was pretty close to that. So it's it's a track that it kind of seems like isn't really convenient for a lot of people to get to. But, I mean, I loved our time there. I mean, like I said, I always thought the racing was awesome. So so many memories we have from our our race experiences. <laughs> I uh, That track is what got me into NASCAR, man. It was... Uh, yeah. And we tried, we, we tried to get a picture in front of Miles, the, the giant, like, three or four or five story tall concrete monster they have out front every single year but we didn't manage to get one until last year that would have been yeah that would have been pretty cool but somehow we're always too worried about finding beer finding tickets finding just (laughs) picking up the pieces of our lives to get into that track well, us us being the perpetually unprepared tailgaters that we are, yes, we were usually <laughs> rushing just to get to our seats in time for the race, along with you know a couple coolers full of beer. So right. yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. We start, finally started to figure it out there the last two years, and then two years ago we had some I don't even some old drunk woman try to take a, a, a picture of us on one of our iPhones, and she. I don't know what button she pressed, but it wasn't the right button because there was Probably no took picture. A selfie. Well, she either yeah. took a selfie or she just pressed the home button and backed out of the camera <laughs> altogether. So, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> so yeah, man. I was with you though. I I was real bummed out watching the cars go around that track just thinking we probably set in every section at that track essentially. Every single yeah, every section. Yeah. Yeah, every every single one. I do just want to call out Dover International Speedway on one thing here while we have I know the, what the, it's going to ha- be have have the attention of everyone. Uh well, you and I have been trying 
for years now to sit in that damn glass bridge above the racetrack on the backstretch. And we reach out to Dover International Raceway at least every year for the past three years now. And not a word, man. Not they are. They must. Those tickets must be gold or something. They they -hmm. ain't handing them out. They ain't handing those out. No, you know what? I talked to a man. I talked to a man one time. I don't even know his name, but I talked to him and he had sat in that glass bridge and he spoke of it so highly. It just sounds like a magical place. You you got the cars going underneath you, the vibrations from those, you got flat screen TVs, a buffet, beer buffet probably. Uh, it just I want to be I want to be there. Yeah, I I feel like those are probably more or less for like sponsorship, like promotional purposes, like, you know, the sponsors probably get to sit there or whatever. But I just I don't even know if I'd want to do it like a whole bunch of times. I think just one time I would Mm -hmm. really want to sit in that bridge just to see or just to say that I watched a race happening right below me. Oh, yeah. What a cool perspective that would be. I mean, and good news is for uh dover international speedway is that when we come back next year we'll probably i mean i assume this podcast is going to blow up so we'll probably be sponsoring the race so who knows (laughs) who knows lug nuts and beer the the chairman might be there it'll be the lug the lug nuts and beer 400 at dover national speedway <laughs> That's right. The logo like is just our faces. That's it. <laughs> oh yeah. I like that. <laughs> I think I think that's something we could work hash out the details with for sure. Yeah. So needless to say, we're we were both super bummed that we weren't there. And oh of all the races to quit going to the spring race, it was one of the most action packed <laughs> races there probably ever. I kept thinking that too, man. Uh, we've watched, to be completely honest, in the last five years, we've watched some really boring races at Dover where Jimmy Johnson or usually Jimmy Johnson, but sometimes Kyle Busch have just dominated and it's just, it's not that great of a race, but this one was unbelievable. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say any of them were boring. I would say maybe the first one, the very first one you and I went to, I don't, I, all the way back in, man, what was that, 2009 or 2010? I don't, for some reason, I don't mm-hmm. think that one was very good. I'm pretty sure Kyle Busch ran away with that one. But I mean, yeah, despite the fact that we've seen Jimmy Johnson win there three times, yeah, it's like even out of nowhere <laughs> some years, I always felt like the, yeah. the races themselves were pretty solid. I agree with that. I I mean, I always enjoy it. I'm not saying I shouldn't I shouldn't have said boring. That was a a poor use of words. But this race especially was just one that we shouldn't have missed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's so I mean, let's talk about it. Like I said, I at the beginning of the podcast, I felt like I was watching Talladega 2.0 right after that huge wreck with about 50 laps to go on the second to last restart. I mean, that was insane. It was a kind of a completely fluky thing. I mean, you have Jimmy Johnson who hadn't been in the lead all day long and all of a sudden there he is on two tires restarting first. And you're like, well, we've seen this story before. Here we go. 10 time Dover champ out front with 50 laps to go and the green flag drops and for lack of a better terminology, his car just didn't go. 
I mean, he just couldn't shift through the gears, and all of a sudden, that stacked up Martin Truex Jr. behind him. That stacked up Kevin Harvick behind Truex, and before you know it, there was probably one of the biggest wrecks you've ever seen at Dover International Raceway. Johnson's won seven out of the past 13 races going into Dover, and he was right there. He, we, I mean, with 50 to go, he's in, he's in second, and truthfully, when I watched it, I was just like, well, here we go again. Jimmy's just sitting there waiting, and he's going to run away with this thing. And, yeah, I think his car couldn't shift. He said it, it couldn't shift into third gear. And, yeah, just backed everyone up behind him, which especially affected one unfortunate driver, of Martin Truex Jr., who had an awesome car. And mistakenly, which, I mean, you can't predict those things, but chose to go on the outside line behind Jimmy and just killed his day, along with a lot of other drivers. I think it's safe to say that the bad luck shackles have been removed now from Matt Kenseth and firmly placed on Martin Truex Jr.'s wrists. Because if you look at, after now that Matt Kenseth has a win, I don't think anybody else this year has had worse luck than Martin Truex Jr., yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, he had a car that could, it should have won that race, could have won that race. Great in practice, great great all weekend, and... His yeah, hometown he, track, the site of his I first know. win. Ugh, I know, <laughs> I was thinking, if we would have done a podcast last week, I probably, I probably would have chosen chosen jimmy johnson to win but my heart would have been with martin truex jr that's it he's from somewhere down on the shore there right maryland delaware yeah i think he's from somewhere in new jersey if i if yeah, i recall i'm not off. no i'm not positive but i think he's from somewhere in new jersey but yeah that's his home track yeah yeah so so first of all just the fact that jimmy johnson was even up front in at the very end of that race is just insane because it's just kind of like it happens all the time he's not there he's not there he has bad luck during the race he got in a wreck after after lap 200 i think it was lap 212 he and kevin harvick got in a wreck um slipped slipped on some oil on the track from a blown engine and i'm kind of looking at them at that point i'm like okay well their their days are done you know they kevin harvick had a good run he led a lot of laps early but they're going to be restarting in the back. There's no way they can get back up front. And sure enough, there they are at the end of the race, and they just wrong place, wrong time for for Kevin Harvick and a rare mistake for Jimmy Johnson. So that that wreck ultimately, or what handed handed Matt Kenseth the the race on a silver platter. So Matt Kenseth was restarting that race at the time that Jimmy Johnson couldn't get going. With 50 laps to go, Matt Kenseth was second, which means he was on the inside lane, which means he would have lost. He wouldn't have been able to get, take first place going in the first turn, and he likely would have lost second place as well. But sure enough, there's that huge wreck. Matt Kenseth is first, and he holds off the rest of the field for the for the rest of the race. Which let me just say, I don't think we're going to see a better race to the finish all year long than what we saw over the course of the last 40 40 laps at Dover. I mean, that was. Yep. That, that was picture-perfect racing. It is what everybody wants to see. Anybody, who, In my opinion, anybody who says that wasn't a good race doesn't know what racing is or doesn't know what it's supposed to be or just doesn't like racing. That That's the only explanation. Heck yeah, man. That was beautiful racing. And I'm, I'm going to quote Jeff Burton here, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little more, but he said, 
I believe what Kyle Larson did, well, he uh, he said, I believe that Kyle Larson did it the right way. Anyone can move a guy. It takes more skill to make a clean pass on a top driver. And I couldn't agree with that more. It, it was great racing. You saw these guys just going, going at it for 40 laps. He couldn't get around him. And Kenseth held on and ended his streak of absolutely horrible luck. Okay, so let's just get right into that discussion then. What do you think Kyle Larson made the right choice? Do you think do you think that he was right to race him cleanly and miss out on his first career victory or do you think he should have given him a little bump, shuffled Matt Kenseth to second and went on to take the win for himself because he clearly had the faster car? Yeah. Um I don't know. That's a t- that is a tough call for me. I think that Given the circumstances and given everything that Matt Kenseth has been through in the last year, and that might sound silly to say um, because, you know, every single driver has their own problems week to week, but Matt Kenseth, more than anyone, can say, can rattle off a list of things that's prevented him from winning that were simply out of his control. Um I want to say that those factors went a little bit into Kyle Larson's decision-making of not, you know, uh, clearing him out of his way, basically. And Kyle Larson even said that he he knew he had the better car. Um, but to simply just get around him, he couldn't do it. And there are a few times with, I don't know, like five laps to go, I want to say where Kyle Larson had him. He had him and just couldn't get all the way around him to clear him. And I don't know. I I look at that. I I don't know what I would have done in that situation with a better race car. I He was racing for his first win, too, which makes it even even more difficult. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I knew for a fact that Kyle Larson was either going to have to bump Matt Kenseth out of the way or he was Matt Kenseth's car was going to have to fall off drastically because Matt Kenseth doesn't make mistakes. He is he's just Mr. Steady. I mean, he is so calm and cool under pressure and I can vouch for that firsthand because I saw the exact same scenario at the Bristol Night Race in I think it was 2013, but Matt Kenseth was leading, and for probably the last 50, at least the last 50 laps of that race, Matt Kenseth was leading and clearly did not have a faster car than Casey Kane, who was right behind him trying to get around him for the win. And Casey Kane would go high and get alongside him, and he'd go low and get alongside him, but he could not pass Matt Kenseth, despite the fact that Kenseth had had not not the best car between the two of them. So I knew that Kyle Larson was about to have a hell of a time getting around him. And I thought, you know what? Kyle Larson is so hungry for this win. Everybody, and I mean everybody, thought that Kyle Larson would have a win by now. Kyle thought he would have a win. All the other drivers thought he would have a win. Teams, fans, I mean, his talent is immense. Everybody couldn't quit talking about how talented he was when he came into the series two years ago. And now here he is, 80-some races into his career with no wins to show. So I thought, you know, he's going to be hungry enough that he'll he'll bump him, and Matt Kenseth's bad luck will continue. I thought that's what we were going to be talking about because I'm like, he's not going to be able to get around him cleanly. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. 
And I don't really have, I can't say whether that was right or wrong because I'm not Kyle. And there's really no right answer to that question. Some drivers would, would bump him. If that were Kyle Busch, you bet your ass Kyle Busch would have used the bump and run. We saw Carl Edwards two or three weeks ago at Richmond use the bump and run on his own teammate. Even, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just, it's obviously there are drivers who would have done it. And I think Kyle said a lot about his character by not doing it. But I think that some people might be questioning his drive. Don't you think there are people out there who, who would say, everybody thought you'd have a win by now. It's been 80 some races. You haven't won. You had an opportunity right there to take it. All you had to do was, you didn't even have to wreck him. You just had to give him a bump and you didn't do it. Don't you think some people might be questioning that? I think there's definitely people who would question that. But I'll say to those people, there's one, there's, I mean, there's winning and then there's winning right. Or there's there's doing the job and then there's doing the job right. And not saying, like I said, and kind of what you said as well is I don't have an answer to whether or not what he did was right. It would have been <laughs> it would have been a win. It would have been a berth in the chase. It would have been his first career win, his first berth in the chase. Like it, it just would have been the first of many different things, but he didn't do it. And I think I'm okay with that. I think I'm okay with that. And I, I look I look at what he says after the race and he says you know, we ran up front and we raced people hard. Uh, we like to be in victory lane, but the day is coming. And I, I think no matter what you think about what he did on Sunday, the, he, he's been racing great all season. And it's not going to end. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. He'll get there. And, and when he does it's going to be done the right way. And there's something to be said for that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say this though, come September, if he doesn't have that win <laughs> and he doesn't make the chase, he's going to be kicking himself because you can say that win is coming and we're getting close. But realistically, the only reason he had a chance to win that race is because a lot of the top dogs that are usually in contention to win races every week were knocked out of that race, either through wrecks or through bad luck or just bad, bad timing. So under most circumstances and most races, that's not going to happen to all the top contenders who are expected to win races. And you have a Toyota crew of drivers who have proven this year to be head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. So how many more opportunities are you going to get, Kyle? You know, I don't know. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. I'm... I'm going to go on a limb right now. I'm going to say that he makes the chase. So when we get to the end of the year and the chase standings come out for that last race before we get to it, Kyle Larson's going to be there. That's my right bold prediction of this week. We'll see if that happens. I think he could make the chase, but if he does, it will be on points because I do not think he will win a race in one of the next 14 races. I just don't think that'll happen. All right. We'll see. Um, you got to think, too. He has been running well for for the team he's on. I mean, he's not on any slouch. You know, he's on Chip Ganassi Racing, but he's not on one of the big four teams. He's he's not driving a Hendrick car or a Stuart Haas Racing car or Joe Gibbs car. He's not he's not in those. So, speaking of Joe Gibbs cars, they now have all four drivers 
in the chase. I guess it was really only a matter of time, right? Yeah, I suppose so. With Matt Kenseth's <laughs> run of bad luck, I mean, I was, little, I was a little worried for the guy. But yeah, yeah, it was just a matter of time. So Matt Kenseth ended up leading 48 out of the 400 laps. I mean, really, he didn't lead at all other than that very last little bit where he ran off to the checkered flag. Uh, Kyle Larson led 85 laps. I mean, finished second, didn't get that win, but great day for him nonetheless. Kevin Harvick led a race-high 117 laps after starting first. And, ah, man, it's just another race that he'll look back on in his career where he led the most laps, had the fastest car, and didn't win. I mean, the story has been told, it has been written time and time again, and it just keeps happening with Kevin Harvick, and I don't know why. So, I mean, he has his win, he won a championship two years ago, but... They got to get whatever those issues are on that pit crew figured out because he was losing spots every single time he came down pit road. I mean, damn, he's starting to look like Dale Jr.'s crew. Yeah, I was kind of wondering the same thing. It just seemed like we we saw him fall back throughout the race, and I don't know, man. He, I would think if I if I were him, I would be so frustrated because there are so many. And we have this narrative every single week. There's so many races that he should should win, and he doesn't, and he doesn't. So, I, I mean, I guess a lot of different guys can say that, but especially Kevin Harvick. Here, here's the thing. Kevin Harvick was only in position to get wrecked because of all the times that his, his crew lost him spots on pit road. So, I mean, I just don't, one thing I actually don't understand is how are all of the, the Joe Gibbs racing Toyota crews, how are all of them so much faster than all of the other teams on pit stops? I mean, they're regularly, regularly half a second to a second faster. And I don't know, I mean, there's tape, every team has tape that would show exactly what they're doing. So are the other teams is there something preventing them from doing it? Do they think whatever the Joe Gibbs guys are doing are too risky in terms of potential penalty penalties or loose wheels or not getting all the lug nuts on? I don't know, but you'd think everybody else would realize and see what they're doing and then try to duplicate that. But so far it hasn't happened. Performance enhancing drugs. PEDs. <laughs> oh man, no, they're on I'm they're on that saying. that Barry Bonds, Lance Armstrong stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, no, I don't know. You're you're completely right. Um, they they're just a step ahead right now, and I don't get it. Um, I know you go down, and this is going to sound silly and probably off on a tangent, but there are the pit crew schools that they can go to. I'm just I'm just hoping a couple of the other teams just spend a little bit more time there because those guys down at Joe Gibbs Racing, they've got it figured out. I and hope. Every- I hope everybody, all the people that are on pit crew teams in in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series have already graduated from pit, pit uh, crew school by now. I hope so, but <laughs> we, we got people leaving wrenches on the back of cars, Matt Kenseth, like week two. Come on. I don't know. If you'd graduated, that guy probably, he maybe got a C or a D. We need A's. Maybe it's time to go back to the basics. That's right. That's right. 4.0s <laughs> at Pit Crew School. All right, buddy. Well, we have the uh, Sprint All-Star Race at Charlotte coming up this weekend. 
uh, one week away from uh, the Coke 600, which you and I will be at. I am very excited for that. Reunited. So close, my friend. So close. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Truth be told, I have no idea what the format is for this year's All-Star Race, honestly, nor do the drivers for the most part. It seems like every year none of the fans have any idea what the format is. None of the drivers do because NASCAR changes it every single year. The, you know, People usually have to be told what the new format is each year when they show up. I don't understand why they change it every year. Maybe, maybe they're just thinking they'll hit the perfect combination that'll make it the most exciting one ever, but... Um, <laughs> Maybe let's maybe just give it a chance for consistency. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be something. Cause I'm going to be honest with you, my interest in the All Star race is not not high. I I mean I I'll definitely watch it, and I'm excited that it's in Charlotte. And if I really wanted to, I could go down and watch it because it's close. But I think it's kind of what you said. The format changes on such a frequent basis that I don't know what I'm even going to go watch. You know, are we going to have uh, 50, 50 laps and then the winner of that moves on to the next? I, I don't know. It, it just seems silly, silly to me that NASCAR is always changing, but that's just my opinion. I knew what the format was for a long time, and then they would do subtle tweaks, but I honestly haven't looked into it, and I couldn't tell you if it's the same as last year or not. I mean, I know it's new because they've been talking about how it's different, but I haven't cared enough to look into what this what this whole new format is. I just think it's hard for NASCAR to do an all-star race because when all the other sports do it, they're combining players onto the same teams who don't ever play together or compete against right. each other regularly. And NASCAR, it's still the same drivers on the same teams just on the track like any other weekend, except the race doesn't count for points or for a chase berth. So it's almost less important. I mean, that's the beauty of NASCAR is that we're essentially getting an all-star race every single week. Yeah, that's a good... That's it. Wow. You should be in... You should be in marketing for NASCAR because that was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I have a few other ideas that if anyone wants to message me, I'll bounce them off you. But, yeah, um, I, it just – I don't know. I, I'm excited for the All-Star race, but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, eh, it, another All-Star race that – whatever. But we'll see. It's it's coming up. Um you got anything else you want to say about it? No, buddy, other than who you got. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, I'm going with Dale. I'm, go I'm going with Dale for no reason other than, besides Martin Truex Jr., that dude has to be next on the bad luck, the bad luck shackles. He's the next one chained to him. Um, and because, I mean, it's Dale. Why not? It's the All Star Race. What do I care? I'm not. I'm not. I didn't even do any research for this. I think the only person, the only person I can think of in recent memory that, and it might have been the only All Star Race I've ever gone to that won the All Star Race is Tony Stewart, and I'm not gonna pick him. So it's got to be Dale. That's right. that's my only logic, and I feel like because it's the All Star Race, I don't. 
I don't have to justify myself anymore, but <laughs> who do you got? <laughs> I mean, who knows? This new all-star format could be uh, we run 300 laps, and then regardless of where everybody is, we just put Dale first, and there's a five-lap dash <laughs> to the finish. I mean, who knows? That could be what the new format is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I hope I hope it is. <laughs> um, I I'm picking Kyle Busch because honestly, would you be surprised? Good pick. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's good. No, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so listen, before we we send off this podcast, I do just want to take a moment to recognize my great grandpa Bardis, who passed away about a week ago, sometime after we recorded the last podcast he was 91 almost 92 years old served in our armed forces and was a really much beloved man in the mineral city area which is where i grew up in so it was really cool we had the the funeral service and a whole bunch of people were able to tell tell stories about him and share memories and photos and everything so it was a life a life uh, a life well lived so that's good man i'm glad that you can say that do you do you have a lot of good times you can look back on with your grandfather? No, oh, absolutely. I mean, the one thing that just stands out in per- particular is that he used to always come to our house. And, I mean, Grandpa Bardis, he was 90, 91 when he died, almost 92. I'm 25 now, so he was always old to me. There was never a point in my life where he was a, y- a young guy. And I remember growing up, he was probably in his 70s, and he would. this man would do headstands headstands in his <laughs> 70s it was the weirdest thing i can't i have never in my life at any point been able to do a headstand but he would get up on his head and feet up in the air and just hold a headstand for an absurd amount of time and i just was always amazed dude that's awesome he, <laughs> i don't i never met him but from the way you talk about him he just sounds so full of life and i hope when i get to that age i'm still doing crazy the crazy thing i've never been able to do a headstand but the crazy things that i do today i sure as heck hope that i can do when i'm 91 so yeah yeah absolutely yep all right buddy well that is lug nuts and beer post dover i think that was episode 13 so we're rolling right along all right man it it's been a a long long awaited episode and here we are wrapping it up and we're coming back to you next week. All right, let's send them off. Bye, everybody. See ya. <laughs>